0: Bible reading is from 1 Samuel, chapter 17. <coughs> now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Socoh, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered, and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armour on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed six hundred shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul?' And greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite in Bethlehem, in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armour. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armour, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, to the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armour in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire, whose son the boy is? And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs)
1: <laughs> morning, church. So, in my hand, I'm just curious, this isn't the kids' talk, but what, what, what is this? A rock from my garden. Someone said, a rock? Yep, it, it's a rock. Um, but in 2008, uh, I was visiting Israel, and I was in the Valley of Elah. And I was like, I am getting a stone <laughs> from the Valley of Elah. So um, this is the exact rock that killed. No, no, but um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, it's. I grabbed it because well, and my and my kids when I showed them this morning they said, you've never you've never showed us this. You know, because it's been sitting in my office all this time. And yesterday I I found it. I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this to the church. So real rock. It's not like it's a you know. This isn't a prop or whatever. Here, kids, can you hold on to it for Dad? I know you don't want to check it out. So, um, now, most of us are familiar with the story of um, David versus Goliath, right? It's, it's probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. Uh, I was at Glee Coffee Roasters, Aaron Heights, just this week, and I started just asking random people. I just said, hey, um... When I say David and Goliath, what does that mean? And one gal said, I don't know, but I think the Simpsons covered it or, or something like that. <laughs> well, I'm not kidding. You know, that was as far as it, it went for her. Other guy said, well, I don't believe that stuff. But I said, I'm not asking you what you believe. I'm saying, have you heard of it? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If who hasn't heard of that, right? And, and you know, in, it's a well-known story um, when, when you... you Typically, the word David and Goliath becomes sort of a catchphrase, doesn't it, for overcoming adversity, right? Um, in the West, we often um, think of David as the the underdog who conquers, right? Or it's the ultimate sort of, uh, I guess, if you want to call it Cinderella story, but it's ultimate. It's the, you know the person that is is looks not to win, ends up. Winning, um, the power of human courage against impossible odds. Uh, we love to tell this story to our kids, in church especially, right? And, and often, though, when we retell this event, it typically goes a little something like this. Kids, um, David, David... Uh, was a great man of faith, and 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 you need to be a great person of faith so that you can slay the giants in your life. Maybe have anyone ever heard something like that? Yeah. Now that sounds good until guess what? You grow up, you walk out of church. And what happens when you don't slay the giants in your life? What happens when you sin? What happens when you don't have great faith? I mean, is the main reason that we have this text written before us to tell us to be bold and be like David? Do better. Be brave. Be a person of faith. Is that is that why we have this here? It's, is it to be like? And then let's okay. Let's say let's just for argument's sake. Let's say it's the point of here. This is be like David. So you tell your kids. You look at the story and you go, okay, kids, be like David. And then you keep reading and you go, well, you mean the guy that that the, the lady and the roof and the 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 the, 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 the murder and then the. the the, the 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 you know the the son that rebelled he didn't do anything be a I don't know if I should do, I don't know if I want to be a David dad so here's what I want you to think about as we go through this captivating drama one of the most well known in, in Scripture ask yourself who's the real hero in this story because David as I just said later becomes a rapist, a murderer, right? He's flawed. But he's still, in this this moment, he operates. This event is a microcosm in a sense. It it points beyond itself to something much bigger, this idea of, of redemption from this shepherd. So ask yourself, who's the real hero in the story? And then ask yourself this. Where are you and I meant to identify in this story? Where are we to place ourselves in the story? So who's the real hero? Who's the true conquering king in this story? That's what I want you to think about as, as we unpack it together. So I want to jump right into it, but before we do, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that there are people sitting here right now that are in sin, that don't know you as Lord and Savior. They will never turn to you apart from your sovereign grace. Lord, so we ask that you would quicken dead hearts, grant life as your word is preached and your gospel is upheld. Draw them to yourself, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So let's jump right into it. Um, you know, this is a, a, this is a fantastic text, right? It's, and it's interesting, as, as it opens up, um, what are we given here? Well, we're given some geographical background, right? So if you look here in 1 Samuel 17, uh, basically it's a bunch of spots that, Ralph, you did a great job, brother, wherever you're at. Yeah. A bunch of spots that were, we're, let's be honest, we're not really familiar with. Uh, they're super hard to pronounce. And so we're kind of going, ah, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But even, even, even just a cursory reading of this text, what do you see? You see the name Judah in there? Can you see that? So so Judah, we know, okay, well, hold on. Judah is the Israelites. So what's that immediately telling us? The Philistines are encroaching onto the Holy Land, right? And then what does Saul do? As his kingdom is invaded, he assembles the troops to repel them, to push them back. And now what's happened is you've got the Philistines on one side, And you've got the Israelites on the other side. That's the setting. God's people on one side, the Philistines on the other. Can you sort of see that in your mind's eye? If not, let me read you a a quick quote from Eugene Peterson, who I think really paints a helpful picture. He writes this, The air is heavy with hostility. There isn't a man on either side of the valley who isn't hefting a spear, sharpening a sword, getting ready to kill. The valley of Elah is a cauldron in which fear and hate and arrogance have been stirred and cooked for weeks into what's now a volatile and lethal brew. That's great writing. That's the scene, though. And just when we're wondering what's going to happen next, you can sort of feel the intensity, as, as Eugene Peterson there says there, the air is heavy with hostility. Just as we're wondering, okay, ready, is this going to be, you know, the, the brave heart sort of boom, and the, the armies crash against each other or whatever, the, the narrator actually slows things down. We're, we're ready to see it just collide, and the narrator actually slows things down to tell us that one man... Just one guy comes out from the enemy camp and stands there. And he's no ordinary bloke, by the way. He's a champion, literally the man in between. Notice how much detail is given when describing both his stature and his armor in verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of gath whose height was 6 cubits and a span think about this that's about 3 meters tall that's insane i mean you, you look at like basketball players maybe they're 2 meters 3 meters tall it it probably it probably almost looked fake You know when you see something that's so real, you go, ah, that looks like a Photoshop. It probably looks looks like someone on stilts, like in the circus, right? Except this this is no joke. You can see the battle scars on this man's body. Each scar has a story behind it. You see, year after year, dozens of soldiers have tried to fight this man to no avail. He has defeated them one by one. He's a killer. And if that's not overwhelming enough, the author proceeds to tell us about his top-notch combat gear. I mean, he really seems to to linger here so as to illustrate Goliath for us. Truth is, this is the longest description of military apparel in the Old Testament. So let's look at it. Verse 5. Verse 5, he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. Okay, so hold on a second here. Let's just think about the defensive side of things, okay? Let's just think about his defense, it says that he has an extraordinary helmet normally the philistines had like these sort of feathery little helmets but he's got a helmet of bronze so i don't know how you'd i don't know how you'd hit him in the head if he's three i mean i guess you could jump right or get up on a ladder or, you know try to but even if even if you did he's he's got an, uh, a helmet made of bronze so so you're probably going to give up and say well i'm just going to try to thrust his torso but even that was guarded, protected by a set of armor weighing 58 kilos, <laughs> 58 kilos. Like, it, you know, in CrossFit, if you, if you run, uh, you know, you, you can run 5Ks and sometimes they have you do it with like a weight belt and then you do push-ups. Try w- running with like a weight belt. It's a totally, it changes the game. This guy's got a weight belt, so to speak, 58 kilos, right? This is, this is a big boy. Finally, if you're fighting him, you can't hit his head, you, just, you get to the, you know, his torso, that's covered up by 58 kilos worth of armor, and then you say, if that's it, I'm going to go dirty and go for his legs. Well, he's got shin guards fully made of bronze. So that's just his defense. Let's go to his offense. His offense, he's got a javelin, which is a curved sword slung across his back. It's a massive sword that he's carrying. He's got his own shield bearer going in front of him. And his spear, look what it says. Uh, this is amazing. It's not a typical spear, right? L- look here, What you, verse 7, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. I mean, it's com- like even just the shaft of it, right? Even the sheer mass of, of his spear is compared to a weaver's beam. This is unusually massive. And the head alone weighs over six kilos. So imagine that thing being thrown at you. I think we get the point. If you haven't got it already, Goliath would seem invincible, right? He's armed to the teeth, and he's got every weapon known to man, and he's a skilled fighter from his youth. Especially when you consider at this stage in history, most Israelite soldiers wore basic clothing and had basic elementary tools of war. So there's Goliath, just daunting as all get out. And as he steps forward, Not only is he just this colossal of a man, but he begins to do what? He opens his mouth, doesn't he? And he begins to talk trash. He's yelling out full-throated insults against God's people. Look at verse 8. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. What's he proposing there? Choose a man for yourself. You hear that? He says, look, I'll I'll represent the Philistines. You choose someone to represent you. Essentially, a whole group of people could be represented by just one person. You get what he's saying there? This is known as corporate personality, where one warrior can represent all the people. That's what Goliath's calling for. And a logical choice would be Saul. Do you remember the bloke that was head and, you know, tall, dark, and handsome? Head and shoulders above everybody else? Well, that guy pales in comparison to this giant now. And he's scared. And as Goliath stands there, you can, and he's shouting out, you can hear the dramatic Music begin to kick in. And he does this, not one day, not two, not eight, not ten, 40 days. He makes God's people look like a bunch of cowards. And he calls them out. Will no one fight this guy? Will God's people eventually have to raise the white flag and surrender? Man, the kingdom, there was so much promise and everything's imploding now. Remember, they've come out of just the, the, the book of Judges of, of years of darkness and decay. And, and, and now we've got a kingdom and it's already crumbling and it's going to just go to shambles from this one guy and, and none of the men will fight him. What they need at this moment is someone who will walk down into the valley as a representative for them and face the enemy and defeat the enemy of God's people so that in him, all the people of God will be victorious over this enemy because he serves as their representative and substitute, wink, wink. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was someone from Judah? And wouldn't it be awesome if it was someone from Bethlehem? Yes, it would. And where is he? Well, now the scene shifts from this, you know, you hear the dramatic music and it takes you way over here. And then we see the guy who will take on this giant. But he's a 14-year-old boy. 15, 16, maybe. He's a kid. Probably playing a musical instrument. <laughs> Minding sheep. Right? The text even notes that he was the youngest of his brothers. Now, if this were a movie, and you like good movies, you'd probably start to wonder, well, what, How does this connected? suppose that's kind of like a Marvel movie nowadays. How is that? Does it matter? They're good looking and they're fighting, and that's all you need to be contr- controlled by, <laughs> right? But but if you like good movies with a plot, you might be like, oh, okay. Well, what's what's happening here? How is this connected to like what we were just watching, right? How is this connected with the rest of the story? Well, we know that this this shepherd boy is not just He's not any old shepherd boy, is he? This is the anointed King David, who will bring down the giant. Fascinating though, look here, I mean, look at verse 12, I mean, verse 12 and following, he's not the mighty man of valor you might picture, he's basically an errand boy, he's he's a menu log driver. Nothing, nothing against menu log or door dash, but that's, what he's, that, that's who he is. I mean, seriously, the only reason that he even shows up to the battlefield in the first place is because his dad sends him on an errand, right? And so, when David arrives on the scene and he's checking things out, he starts chatting with some of the soldiers. And when he does, what does he hear? In the distance, he hears this angry, blasphemous, voice in the distance, taunting God's people with such confidence. And then what does he see? Then he sees people that have God Almighty as their king, the living God. He sees those people running away like little boys, running for their lives from this guy, Goliath. Come to verse 21. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army, and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. We didn't get to hear what Goliath was saying, so go back to verse 10. In verse 10, he is begging for someone to fight him. Look what he says in verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. This idea of defy carries the idea of contempt. So here is this guy. He is insulting their honor, insulting their nation, insulting their God. You understand, Goliath's words here are not just sort of a... uh, they're not just talking trash. It's not just like we're going to whoop you in soccer. It's not it's not just even a slap in the face to the Israelites. Uh, this is an assault on the living God himself. David hears it exactly that way. That's that the Lord's being ridiculed. I mean, that's why he says this great line in verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David sees this as an attack on the Lord himself. So David shows up. He hears this guy throwing just full-throated insults, and he says, like, is no one going to fight this guy? And then he starts inquiring around, well, what will happen to the bloke that takes him down? Well, you know, the king will give him a mint, probably his daughter in marriage. And David hears that, and he goes, who's going? Who's going? Fine. Fine. I'll go. Because who is this guy? I don't care how big this dude is. I I, I don't don't care. Who is this guy anyway that he should be allowed to mock us and challenge God Almighty? Now, word gets out fairly quickly when you start talking like this. I mean, if this was a, a tweet, it goes viral, right? King First, his brother hears about it, and he gets pretty cross. But then the king hears about it. And eventually, he says, bring this guy over to me. Pick up with me in verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. My, remember, David shows up, probably smells like sheep. He hasn't, he's not coming in from an MMA gym or some CrossFit gym, right? He's this little boy. Maybe he comes up to Saul's waist. Remember, Saul was roughly two meters, give or take, himself. So maybe David comes up to his chest. And, and, and David says, I'll go fight him. Don't worry, I got this. And, and what, is, what does Saul say? You're, are you joking? You're not able to fight this guy. Now, humanly speaking, that's true, by the way. You know, I mean, Saul's looking at things externally, isn't he? I mean, how, how on earth could you take, you know, the picture of the sumo wrestler and all that stuff? I mean, that's what it's going to look like, but worse. And David doesn't see it that way. David sees things differently. Sure, he sees Goliath's size, but he doesn't measure things against the human standard. He doesn't look at things externally. Remember that theme: God doesn't look at the outward appearance. Now look at verse 34. This is gold, man. This is, this is gold. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Why should I send you, little boy? (laughs) Right? I'm the biggest man in Israel. I've got the best armor money can buy. Why should I send you? David's answer is simple. This guy has defied God. God is going to get him. You know, look, uh, Saul, this has nothing to do with me being a better fighter than he is. This has to do with the fact that this guy has defied the Lord. And in the past, if the Lord delivered me from the lion and from the bear, this guy doesn't stand a chance. He doesn't stand a chance. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Now, in the next scene, what do we see? We see David waddling around in armor that isn't his. Kind of like when you dress up your kid in your clothes, right? He can't even move in the stuff. And and he goes, this this isn't going to work. So then you see him kneeling down Grabbing five stones. All he's got is a slingshot, a couple of stones, and a shepherd's staff. Right? And here's the deal. Now we're coming to this crescendo here where the fight is going to happen. But if you think about it, the fight's pretty quick. It's like a verse. Right? Kills him. Cuts his head off. Done. Done. But what does the author really want us to hear is all the trash talking between the two, right? The worldview between the two. That's, that's, really where you're, that's really where we can park our car. So let's, let's pay attention to the words that are exchanged here. Because when the Philistine, when Goliath looks down at him, literally, right? Look, look what he says here. And the Philistine in verse 41 moved forward and came to David with his shield bear in front of him. You picture David coming down into the valley of Elah. And maybe Goliath turns around to the army and goes, looks like the Hebrews found a champion. Ha, ha, ha. And he goes, now get lost, kid. Seriously, get lost. Shove off. And the kid goes, no, I'm here to fight you. It's like, no, no stop, really. And eventually he goes, no, this is, this, is, this is an insult. Come to me, I will destroy you. And then what does David say in response? David says to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Amen. Like, wow. That is just, yeah. And then what he says, this day... The Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that the whole earth may know that I am a great man of faith. Is that what it says? No. No, 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 no. Not not at all. David does not believe that The giant will fall because of his great skill. David does not believe that the giant will fall even because of his great faith. David believes that the giant will fall because of his great God. This was not written, friends, to show us how significant David is, but to show us how awesome God Almighty is. God is the hero in this story, I mean, look Look at the reasons he gives here. Notice what he says here. That all, notice, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and then all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. The Lord's, Delivery of Israel has two purposes. Can you see it? Two purposes. is One, that the whole earth may know that there's a God in Israel, that only Israel has the true God. Did you remember when the Babylonians come and they take over God's people? They take the Ark of the Covenant with them. They destroy the temple. And what's Nebuchadnezzar doing there? He's saying, my God's bigger than your God. And so what's David saying? I'm going to prove to you right now, not, not be, I'm a little runt. I'm acknowledging that. But God Almighty will save so that all the earth may know and hear about this. Jeremiah 10.10 But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And His wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure His indignation. So enough trash talking. Here we go. When the Philistine arose and came near to meet David, notice David, he runs quickly to the battle. Don't you love that? He ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag. Isn't it it amazing that we teach this story to kids, by the way? I think if this bit was captured on film, we probably wouldn't want our children watching it. Just saying, right? David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed. So he knocks this guy unconscious, right? Knocks him out. But then look. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. That's part, probably, I just, I never heard that part in Sunday school as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> right? But you, you remember, let's think of a whole picture, big picture Bible here stuff. Think for a second. When Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden, they, death enters the world. They have to leave the Garden of Eden. Correct? But on that sad and awful day, there's a promise that's made. In Genesis 3.15, that one day someone will come and crush the head of the serpent. And what do we get? We get little pictures of that finally culminating all the way when Jesus Christ does that. But even here, in God's kindness, it's a great reminder that the seed of the woman, the nation of Israel, is crushing the serpent's head. In this case, cutting off the head. It's amazing. And so David prevailed over the Philistine. The men of is Israel, what do they do? They rise with a shout. The guys take off. And David is, again, this is the part we don't share it with kids. David is parading his head around like a beach ball, right? I mean, this is, just, this is, this is intense. This is, uh, you know it's amazing to me? all of the caricatures that Aussies have about, oh, the Bible is just a fluffy little book of do-goods and this, oh, dude, you haven't read it. You haven't read it. it this, is, this is more violent than any of these dumb movies that you can see nowadays. This is, this is full on because he is the conquering king who deals a death blow to the enemy. You see, friends, if you haven't caught it already, there's a bigger picture to this story, isn't there? Because David, as I mentioned in the beginning, has his major, major faults. David is a sinner. David needs a king, a redeemer. David needs someone to represent him, ultimately. David needs someone to defend him. Romans 5, eight. 18 Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the man one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Do you understand? We need a representative. Every one of us, though we may not be as bad as David, as some of the things I've talked about, But every single one of you has sinned. Every single one of you has disobeyed God in your thoughts, in your words, in your behavior. I understand you're maybe not as bad as your neighbor. Okay? I get that. But in God's sight, you are wicked. Wicked. And the heart, your heart is deceitfully wicked. The Bible says that our righteousness, because I know I know in a Western culture, and I know people in this room, you're already offended with me saying, oh, I can't believe you're thinking that. But your righteousness in God's sight is like a filthy rag. You have nothing to bring except your sin to God. And when God sees you, he is just and right to pronounce you guilty. You have no hope to stand on anything You can't point and say, well, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm not as bad as that person. You are a sinner like myself in desperate need of a representative. You need someone to stand in your place. See, you need Christ as your representative and your substitute. When we see this story of David and Goliath, when we watch David walk down into the valley to face Goliath, we are seeing a foreshadowing of Christ, our great shepherd king, who goes into the greatest of all valleys, who fights and defeats the greatest of all foes, and everyone, listen, friend, Everyone, right now, if you place your faith in this conquering king, you are represented in the act when Jesus goes into the valley on your behalf and crushes death and hell and the grave and the consequences of sin are borne by Christ so that our shepherd king, our representative, brings victory for us on his behalf on his work alone. Jesus has to be your representative and your king and your substitute. You have no hope. And look, if you are a Christian, dear friend, church, Jesus defends you right now. Hebrews seven twenty three, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Church, Jesus is defending you if you are in him even now. Romans eight thirty one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. At this very moment, friend, if you are in Jesus, the shepherd king, our great conquering king, is defending you right now. And no one or nothing can snatch you from his hand. See, David functioned as a representative, as a champion on behalf of the people. He won a victory for the people. Christ won the greatest of victories for those that trust in him. But just by hearing that this morning, it doesn't mean that you are now bingo a Christian. Do you understand? Just by hearing that, you can say, well, that kind of makes sense. I think I get. Rob, if I can just distill it down, I think what you're saying. Okay, I've sinned, you, got, you drove that point. I, wasn't, I was pretty annoyed, I was trying to tune you out on that point, but, but uh, you said I'm, I'm bad, I'm, I'm kind of distasteful on God's side. Yeah, 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 I get it. But Jesus, okay, Jesus conquered sin. All right, cool, so where does that leave me? It leaves you nowhere unless you turn to Christ, unless you turn to Jesus in faith and repentance. It leaves you nowhere unless you cling to Jesus, unless you hold on to that promise that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So when we walk away from this story, what are, what are we as Christians today? How are we... Who's the hero here? Well, I think it's it's clear. But... Who are we to identify with here in this story? Well, I know that maybe you initially thought, maybe, oh, I'm kind of like David. But I think what's meant to be drawn here is that we need to identify with the people that are hopeless and scared and disobedient and people in need of saving. This is, let me say this as clearly as I can because in this nation, amongst other things, you feel self-sufficient. And, and this is with me. Yeah, I don't need it. I don't need Christ. I don't, I don't need that. I don't need this. I don't need the religious stuff. It's not for me. It's not for me. Then God will treat you exactly on those terms. You'll stand before God and you'll be guilty. You need a champion on your behalf. You need to be dependent on this representative, on this substitute. Otherwise, there's no hope for you. Look, the, the, the government's not going to be there to bail you out when you die and hand you a, a card. You understand? It, 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 God is not going to look at you and say, oh, I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. God's going to look at you and say, sinner, depart from me unless you turn to Christ and you're clothed in his righteousness. God's not going to look at you and say, did did we feel like we had safe space together? Is this this okay? God's going to look at you and say, sinner, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, unless you turn to Jesus. Unless you turn to Christ. That's it. It's as simple as that. You don't bring anything in your hand. You don't, you don't, try to, you know, tick the church attendance box. Oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. It's only through Christ and His righteousness alone. It, it, picture it like this way, right? We're starting to take these things off because spring is here. But imagine that it's like, it's like this, friend. That, you know, imagine that when God sees you when you die... Again, as I've said, he sees you as guilty. Okay? But what you need is to be clothed with a jumper of Jesus' righteousness. And when you place your faith in him, not only does God forgive your sin, but Jesus gives you his jumper to wear. His righteousness becomes yours so that when you look at him, so that when, when God looks at you, he doesn't see guilty sinner he sees his son because of Jesus's perfect obedience to the father are are you wearing that robe of righteousness have you clinged to Christ friend I I would imagine there's people here today right now sitting here you know who you are by the way if you're a Christian you know, if you're you know I'm a Christian because of Jesus alone and his work in my life and I'm claiming and holding on to these promises. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, you know, you know, you know that. So what's holding you back? What is holding you back from turning to Christ this very morning? You need a champion, and it can't be yourself. And it can't certainly can't be the government or your friends. It can only be Christ and Christ alone because of His perfect obedience to the Father you see, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You've heard it. I, you know what? I could get on a plane and leave tomorrow and all of you have heard this message now. It's You have to do something with it. You, you have no excuse standing before God one day. Oh, no one ever told me. Every single person in this room is now culpable for what they've just heard. Every single one of you, do you understand? If you if you listen to half of what I've said this morning, you all are accountable to it now. I pray the Lord saves you and stirs in your heart and such. And for those of you that are in Jesus, I pray that this is a time to thank God that we have a conquering King in Christ. Amen. That's the only King that we can look to. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for this wonderful drama of death being crushed on our behalf. Lord, for those of us that are in Christ, we know that it's the only thing that we can hold to is nothing in us but Christ in us. We pray, Father, for those that are here that don't know you that want to are irritated with me perhaps or want to brush off this message or pretend like they didn't hear it stuff it down pretend like this doesn't exist uh, i pray lord that by your spirit they would be very uncomfortable right now and not be able to move until they turn to you so lord would you remove from them a heart of stone give them a heart of flesh save them for your glory we pray thank you for this opportunity to celebrate your death on our behalf. In Christ's name.